All right, all right, all right, all right, and welcome to another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show focused exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. We don't even consider talking about anything that doesn't happen exactly exclusively within the Magic Arena client. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts today. And today, Covert Go Blue is a very monumental, momentous occasion for a number of reasons. A number of reasons. The first of which is, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can finally see us talking. Covert Go Blue, we are live on video. How are you doing? I've never been live on video on YouTube before. This is very no. uh, mind-blowing experience. Yes. <laughs> I see you're taking to it quite naturally. Well, you're, and you look this good, it's not hard. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So, yes, so for those of you listening via audio who can't see this happening right now, what are you doing? Head over to YouTube and go ahead and look on Covert Go Blue's channel. We haven't figured out all of the details, so for now, go to Covert Go Blue's channel and we're going to be posting these podcasts there and you can see us chatting. You will also be able to see the spoilers, which is what we're going to spend the vast majority of today talking about. Strixhaven, we just got a big dump of spoilers, and so we can finally kick off the madness, which is Arena Craft set review spoiler season. Strixhaven is coming, baby, and the cards are flying. They're just flying at us, just being hurled at us this week. Dude, if you see me, like, if you see me during this video kind of leaning into my monitor and squinting, it's because there's so much text on these cards, they literally bumped it down like two font sizes. <laughs> that, that is completely accurate. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use the control scroll wheel option right, right. now and make these bigger. <laughs> I know, dude. We were talking about how Kaldheim has a lot of text. Does, has this set actually topped it so far in terms of text on cards? The only way to find out is to read every single line of text on these cards and see if our voices come out in worse shape than they did after the call times. <laughs> Seriously. Spoilers. Ugh. That's the only scientific method we can use. So, quick overview of how the show's going to go. We are going to start with the Strixhaven spoilers that were revealed for like the main set, which is going into standard. We are then also going to talk about the Mystical Archive. If you're not sure what this is, don't worry about it. We're going to describe it more in detail when we get to it. But the short version is that it's like this extra set of special cards, which are also going to come in boosters, both in real life and on Arena. And it's a supplemental set, most of which is going into Historic. So that's the TLDR. We'll cover that more. Um, we're going to skip the normal stuff today, such as the question of the week and that kind of thing. We just, it's already going to be a huge show. But mm -hmm. CGB, I did just quickly want to ask you, because we've both been playing it all week. How did you enjoy the early access event and then the follow-up just playing Magic Legends? I love Magic Legends. And I think uh, in a unique way, where I'm only really getting into the game. The game got me in by being a magic product. It is in the magic universe. These are characters I've played in card game form or known about for a long time. So when I play them in a more like 
just dynamic universe, like a 3D universe where you get to run around and summon angels and cast blue spells like control magic and summon water elementals. Like for me, that's really, really cool. And I got to play it with some pretty sweet dudes, uh, Danny T and Crokey's. I Crokey's invited me to the squad. I thought I was like, that's that's pretty epic. So I part of it's who I'm playing with. We haven't really had a way to game together before. People who just play magic like us, the only way to play magic on arena is to battle each other. It's it's the only option. And they're when you're a content creator, people don't understand how much baggage that comes with when like if you guys just get together to battle, you know, fans want to make a big deal of it and fans want stakes and fans want to be excited and fans want to talk trash about who's better. And all of that actually comes with a lot of baggage where it doesn't feel like you can just get together and play some fun, friendly games. But a cooperative yeah, right? like you're, Legends... You're not just like chilling with your mates, you know, drinking a beer and playing some games, right? Like that's not really nope. the vibe that you can cultivate. That's not how arena works for yep. sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so legends being cooperative and just cruise the cruising the countryside with your friends, slaying some monsters. Like I'm down for that. I could, I could do that all day. So what did you think of magic legends? Yeah. I also really enjoyed it primarily for the reasons you highlighted. I'm like, this is honestly my first AARPG, which is what it is. I'm still not even really sure like where a multi, you know, like a, an online AARPG differs from an MMO or whatever. So for me, it's kind of like I'm checking both of those boxes. I'm like, ooh, there's uh -huh. another player running in the countryside. And oh, we magically teamed up and defeated this little challenge or whatever. So like, I'm just enjoying that. I'm just learning about the genre, basically, and really getting into it. Um, and then, of course, it's the magic property, and I'm a huge fan. And so even though I think, you know, first of all, the game's an open beta, so there's definitely crashes and weirdnesses and various things that aren't balanced and whatever, but it's pretty good. It's pretty playable from the get-go. Um, and, you know, the acting's, like, not that exciting. <laughs> I don't know. It leaves something to be desired just from, a, like, an objectively video game standpoint. But that has not stopped me from just having an absolute blast playing it. Like I'm, I'm just enjoying casting my spells, building my deck. Like, ooh, look, there's a flame oh, yeah. tongue kavu. People who have played games like it are have no lack of complaints about the economy, the gameplay, and a ton of other things. For me, this reminds me of when you would go to the arcade, meet up with your friends, and play like the Street Fighter or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle side-scrolling game, where you know you all you do is walk right, and more enemies come at you forever <laughs> and ever, and you yeah. just try to f see how far you can get on like how many quarters you bought, and you bring your friends. Uh, the Simpsons arcade game is another example of that side-scrolling style. <laughs> That's how Legends feels to me. I'm just cruising with my boys at the arcade through the countryside seeing how many things we can kill uh in the hour or two that we're given and it, it, for that i'm having fun dude it's a lot of fun yeah if if you're not like some super elite rpg gamer already you'll probably just download it play it have a lot of fun have a blast so yeah i highly recommend it it's free no reason not to try it really um, so I'm not getting paid to say this. I wish I was, but I'm not. I just genuinely enjoyed the game, and I'm I'm glad that you did too, CGB. So you can periodically catch CGB, Danny T-Law, and Crokey's streaming this on Twitch. I assume that you're going to keep squatting up and doing that moving forward? 
Uh, we've done it twice. I've also played with Nerd Girl on Thursday night on Variety Night. I hope we get to play more there. So, yeah, I'm hoping to do more Legend streams, but I, I think we'll squad up and play some. Cool. Awesome. So, yeah, so there's that. Try it out. Have fun. All right. Time for us to transition into Strixhaven spoilers. Now, we definitely covered some of this last time we talked about Strixhaven. We kind of started to get into it, but let's just do a little quick review. So we've got five colleges, and they are all two-color pairs. They are enemy colors. Is there anything else smart for us to say about that before we dive in? I mean, those are the facts. Yes. Those are absolutely the facts. So Yes. Nothing like any other IP we've ever seen before. Nope. Right down to the owl set logo. <laughs> it's it's a brilliant idea. It might go viral, CGB. Pe- yeah, people yeah, might yeah. like it. All right. <laughs> okay, so uh, Monday of this week that we're recording, so this will be last week for when you're checking this out, they spoiled two Mythic Planeswalkers for the set. And they like to do this, give us a few planeswalkers to get going on. And uh, these planeswalkers are both pretty interesting. Kovac Gobu, do you want to do us the honors and fire off with Kazmina? Kazmina Enigma Sage is one and a green-blue legendary planeswalker with two starting loyalty, Mythic Rare. Has a passive ability, so welcome back passives. Each other planeswalker you control has the loyalty abilities of Kazmina Enigma Sage. First loyalty ability is plus two to scry one. Second loyalty ability is minus X to create a zero, zero, green and blue fractal creature token. Put X plus one plus one counters on it. And number three loyalty ability is minus eight search your library for an instant or sorcery card that shares a color with this planeswalker exile that card then shuffle you may cast that card without paying its mana cost so immediately the vultures started to circle over this card (laughs) because it reminded us of another famous planeswalker with the same casting cost you speak of the Oko. Indeed, indeed. Oko has been banished to legend from most formats, and this is not immediately looking like a card that's going to get the Oko treatment. However, I do think that this card has more possibility than than at least some of what I've been hearing people talk about on Twitter and stuff. A lot of people I've heard are just trashing this card, saying it's not going to be good. I'm not ready to throw in the towel on Kazmina. First of all, I think that that passive ability has quietly a lot of potential. For standard, I would agree this doesn't... I'm not like super excited to throw this into a standard deck right off the bat, but I will say for historic, there are some interesting implications with this. First of all, being able to plus two your Narset. I don't know, is that appealing to you, Kovac Goblu? No, I only want to minus it because I like drawing cards a lot better than scrying one. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. Supposing your Narset's already on one. Supposing your Narset's already on one, you basically dug for two cards. Hopefully one of them wasn't because Mina. You kind of want to find cards that do stuff. <laughs> I mean, you're, you okay, you have a Narset on the board. It minus twice, and the opponent did absolutely nothing about it. Yes, playing Kazmina and plussing it is nice. 
so my my critique of the card is like it's good when the it's good if you're in a staring match without any counter spells i guess because if you're gonna play this and then plus it and then play say a teferi or a narset or have something like that on the board already and then plus that two to scry one there's just nothing on the board right because if there is it's just attacking down your planeswalkers and killing them and you're not really defending them you're just moving loyalty around so there are matchups where this is good there are formats where this is good but they have to be slow the board has to basically be non-existent and i'm really skeptical of cards like that because uh it doesn't have to be that way there like decks will rise up and play threats and things that just go over and smash your planeswalker questing beast is still in the format like I can't get too excited about the idea of playing multiple planeswalkers and having time to plus them up, and most of what you gain from that is a scry. I think that that's very fair, um, and I think it's why Kazmin is not just going to go into every deck. This is definitely not going to be like a Teferi Master of Time, where you're just any deck that plays the colors is going to consider running it. So I, I totally give you that. But I do think so, okay, so Kazmina ticks up to four. And if she doesn't, if if she goes unmolested, she is capable of creating up to a three three creature on the following turn, right? Yep. So it's a little bit more interesting. Let's say you play this on turn four with a fatal push up, or on turn five with some removal up, or maybe on turn five with a counter spell backup, right? Now, of course, none of these things are ideal, but a lot of you know your your three mana planeswalkers are always a little bit taxed, right? They're always in this. I mean, apart from Teferi Master of Time, which is just the boss of the universe, which is why he got banned everywhere, basically. But most three-mana planeswalkers do have this problem. Um, so I don't think that Kazmina is unique in that regard. Uh, and I do, I think that it's fairly interesting to be able to give any planeswalker a plus two, and also to give any planeswalker an outlet to spend some of its loyalty making a fractal creature. Now, if there are other effects which make fractal creatures better, then this effect could get better. But we haven't really seen that, so we can't speculate on it. I mean, this minus eight is a long way away, right? Yes, a very, very long way away. Supposing, I think one of the, the places that this gets most interesting is with high loyalty planeswalkers, right? Could we imagine playing this and the uh, War of the Spark Kiara planeswalker in the same deck? You could do it. I'm not... <laughs> the... Okay. Let... Yes, you could try these things. Let, let me float this by you. That was a Jeskai Super Friends deck in Historic that was doing quite well playing Lotus Field. Mm -hmm. and uh, Kiara with Lotus Field is gangbusters, right? Yep. So, I don't know. That could be a shell. Anyway, I'm I'm not saying Kazmina is just like, going to be immediately a headliner, but I think that Kazmina has interesting implications, and I wouldn't write her off just from the get-go. You're, you're definitely right about that. It's a unique effect, so there might be the perfect setup for it. Yeah. It's it's this is kind of a it's a combo card or like a filling a very unique purpose has to go into a planeswalker deck. I think I don't think you're on this in a deck that's not doing some amount of super friending around. Um and you also, you know, you might want your deck to have at least one heavy hitting instant or sorcery in it so that that, that minus eight actually does something. 
Cool. All right. So that's Kazmina. Let's move on to Lily. I mean, Professor Onyx. It's Professor Onyx. What are you talking about? Strictly Professor Onyx, who is only Professor Onyx and not anybody else. I had a Freudian slip there, I guess. Sorry. Uh, so Professor Onyx for Black Black is a five loyalty legendary planeswalker Liliana. Someone's on the cover on this plane. Liliana also has a passive, which is a new keyword ability, Mage Craft. So, Magecraft is whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, something happens. So, in this particular case, the Magecraft ability is each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. So, the plus one ability is you lose one life, look at the top three cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. The minus three, each opponent sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures that player controls. And the minus eight, each opponent may discard a card. If they don't, they lose three life. Repeat this process six more times, which, my friends, is a lot of times to repeat that effect. It's like Torment of Hailfire for seven, but they can't sacrifice permanence. It's hand or dome, and those are your only choices. That's it. And my initial impression for this card is actually that it's very powerful and has at least one immediate home but it is a six mana planeswalker it is very in a lot of ways a classic planeswalker with a interesting passive ability so that when you're casting spells around it you gain that drain effect which could be huge if you untap with that drain effect and you cast two or three spells and remember plusing it does in a way draw you cards it draws you cards with selection like that's that's a big swing it's going to be hard to beat if you play this and untap with it and it does come with like probably six loyalty to start or two loyalty if you minus three to remove a creature from the opponent's side so i'm pretty optimistic about it but the thing that i just know is it's already has a home salti ultimatum when you play this with vorinclex off your ultimatum package and minus eight they're probably dead or they have no hand whatsoever because you just get to do the minus eight ultimate right away so let me ask you this. I mean, because that's good. That's quite powerful. Is is that better than the existing options? It can be if there aren't graveyards. Like, have you ever fetched, a, looked at Valky and then looked at their graveyard? It got exiled by, you know, an escape card and looked at your graveyard and there was maybe only like one card there. I think that happens sometimes. That's true. I mean, you're, talk I, you're I talking probably... to the guy who doesn't like to run Vorinclex in his ultimatum decks. So I guess I'm... I'm definitely on the skeptic side of, of the whole notion. But, I mean, you're not wrong. It's a very, very powerful combo, for sure. It's, I mean, she also sees, like, the historic version plays Dreadhorde General here and there, and she's not quite Dreadhorde General, but she's not a mile away from it either. And I think that, man, if you played this and then cast All Runs Epiphany, that's really nasty. It's you get good. the drain, and you get another turn to dig th three more cards deep for another Epiphany. It's kind of crazy. That's true. I I do want to caution people about that plus one. So one of the issues with six mana planeswalkers is that they tend to come down a bit later in the game. So there could be situations in which you're in a really tight spot and you would love to be able to use that plus one to like dig for a wrath or something, but you might be kind of on the ropes. So that's one thing to think about. I think people assume that because you have the magecraft ability, you're just going to be gaining a whole bunch of life. Sometimes you're not fortunate. 
like that. So it's just, it's something to think about. I think that that loss of life is going to come up a little bit more than you think it will. I mean, I agree. I'm the person who's died to treacherous blessing more than most. <laughs> yes. So just keep an eye out for it. I'm just saying, keep an eye out for it. The other thing, that minus three, okay, minus three is better in Commander, right? But I would yeah. say that for like standard or historic 1v1 formats, it's quite a bit worse than destroy target creature, I think. Um, it has a few, you know, it has a few upsides, right? Like can hit Toskies or indestructible creatures or whatever. But I think that pound for pound, your opponent sacking a creature that might not be the creature you're most worried about is, I don't know. See, I see that, and I think it's... I mean, the the worst case is, like, they have a Torbram, but they sack their Bone Crusher Giant. Exactly. Right? That's, mad about that's, that. that's I the look kind at of thing this, I'm thinking. I look at this, and I'm like, Mono White has their Selfless Savior and their Alcide, and this gets around it and gets straight to the Hollow Blade or the um, Halvar. So I look at it like, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know, though. Like, this card doesn't read to me as being good against small creature decks, right? I feel like you want that minus three to hit something pretty big. Otherwise, it just doesn't really seem worth it to me. Alvar is not small, and neither is that hollow blade when they're done with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I would most of the time be botting out my Professor Onyx if I was playing against an aggro creature deck, I think. For, in my mind, this card seems like... This card could be like a control mirror breaker. It could prey on mid-range decks. That's kind of more the direction I'm imagining this card going. Yeah, I agree with that. But I do think it's I do think it's very powerful. I think it's the one of the more powerful reveals so far. It is. Um and that magecraft ability in the right deck is an absolute killer. So yeah, don't don't underestimate that. All right, let's move along here. We have another planeswalker Z in the form of Rowan Scholar of Sparks. So why don't you take us through this one, CGB? Rowan, Scholar of Sparks, is two and a red for a legendary planeswalker, Rowan. Instant and sorcery spells you cast costs one less is the passive ability. This enters with two loyalty. And this is a double face card. So this is going to take a minute. Bear with me. The plus one on the Rowan side. Rowan, Scholar of Sparks, deals one damage to each opponent. If you've drawn three or more cards this turn, she deals three damage to each opponent instead. The minus four ability on this side. You get an emblem with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may pay two mana. If you do, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. Flip it. The other side is Will, the Scholar of Frost, who it costs four and a blue. This has four loyalty and has the same passive. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. The plus one, up to one target creature, has base power and toughness zero two until your next turn. The minus three says you draw two cards. The minus seven says exile up to five target permanents for each permanent exiled this way. Its controller creates a four four blue and red elemental creature token. What do you think of Will, the Scholar of Frost, and Rowan, the Scholar of Sparks? I, what the heck, man? I, there's a lot of text on this card. I will honestly say that there was not a single line of text on this card that made me like sit up in my chair, you know? <laughs> there, was, there was nothing about this card 
other than maybe like the the flagrant self-absorption of the characters on it which really caught my attention clearly it was designed <laughs> <laughs> clearly it was designed to work to together right to play well with itself like these tend to be so you can kind of see what they did there right when it has this the plus one of rowan is supposed to play nicely with the minus three of will um but that all just seems like kind of best case scenario thinking to me honestly i don't really know what we're trying to do with this planeswalker so i would have to see a pretty compelling shell to put this in now Here's the thing. So this Magecraft thing is definitely looking like a thing. And so I could see a deck, if if the Magecraft payoffs were good enough, and if we had enough good instants and sorceries to play in the format, I could perhaps see some kind of like cantrip-heavy, interaction-heavy deck, which has like some Magecraft creatures or whatever in it. And then this card just like butters all of the sides of your bread and so you want to run it but that's that's kind of like the best case scenario for this card and i'm struggling to i feel like i guess i feel like we're unlikely to see a fantastic ceiling for this card and the floor seems very very low i feel like there's so much text and you could go and break down each line and very few of the lines I think matter nearly as much as instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. So if you can build a deck that mostly relies on instants and sorceries, there are a lot of good ones in the format. And the interesting thing about playing multiple Rowan and Wills is that if you cast Will and Rowan, each side uh, has the instant and sorceries cost one less passive. So if you have them both out, you're paying two less on your instants and sorceries. So, I I mean, is Storm going to come back in standard? It would take a lot of very specific cards to be printed, but there are a lot of interesting effects. We're going to get to lessons and learning uh, as we go through this spoiler, and there are spells, and you can picture those cards when we talk about them. The rate's going to suck, we're going to be like, God, those lessons are expensive. But then when you cut two off their casting cost, they're not. They're very interesting. And I, I just picture, like, you can play this with some of the other cards in the format. But, um, like, Behold the Multiverse. Would you like to pay one blue for Behold the Multiverse after a foretell or, like, one in a blue without foretelling it? Like, that's pretty good. Graven lore could cost less. That can be interesting, and you can still get two scries in there from some snow. I mean, there's there, there are things. I think one of the things I'm having a hard time with, which you were kind of highlighting there, or perhaps hinting at at the end, though, is that I find that decks that have a lot of spells in them tend to want to have a lot of cheap spells in them. And, I mean, you know, that's, that's a generalization I'm making, but it generally tends to be true. So decks that get payoffs of playing instants and sorceries want to play a lot of cards like opt for example and the you know the first one less to cast is often really game breaking um if it sticks around the second one i'm not like rushing you know i'm not like rushing to write home to my mom about how i got that it's nice if you get it right but i think that there are going to be a lot of spells where you're not even going to see the benefit i think that the foretell spells are actually kind of highlight 
one of the limitations of that is that you already have these mechanics to reduce the cost of the spells. So I'm, I'm not saying it's not going to come up, and I'm not saying it doesn't have the potential to be good when it happens, but I feel like the first, the first one-off is really where you're getting your money, I think. Yeah, my, my honest take on the cards is that they don't defend themselves, and I don't have a lot of hope for them right now. They would take things breaking the right way. Like, like I yeah. said, Storm kind of has to come back. I think you have to combo off with these. You have to do a million things in a turn cycle, or you're just going to play this past the turn and have it die, and you got one off of your Behold the Multiverse. That's not good enough. No. I mean, Rowan, spending three mana on Rowan and having her come down as a three-loyalty Planeswalker and the only thing you got out of it was dealing one to your opponent, it's not hot, man. It's just... She's hot. <laughs> I mean... She, just to be clear. She she is hot, but the, the Planeswalker <laughs> utility you're getting out of her leaves something to be desired, right? So I think that, honestly, that's what kills me about the card. Like, Will is meh. I mean, Will's actually not super exciting either, but... Yeah, Rowan's really what's killing it for me. Well, why don't we keep things moving along here? Um, So the next card that I want to talk about here is Dragon's Guard Elite. Now this is one and a green, two-two, creature human druid at rare. And uh, it has the Magecraft ability, so this is cool. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Put a plus one, plus one counter on Dragon's Guard Elite. And it has an activated ability, four green, green, colon. So you can do this as many times as you like. Double the number of plus one, plus one counters on Dragon's Guard Elite. So this is a card with potential, I would say. Do you like it more than like a Quirion Dryad? Because that's been in standard for a while and (laughs) nobody's even touching that card, which says if you cast any spell that isn't just strictly mono green it gets right. a plus one plus one counter yeah so i i looked at this card and i was like i like that it starts at a two two instead of a one one like query and dryad as soon as you start casting spells that grow this you're doing okay but i mean it it feels like an is it card it feels yeah. like a sprite yeah. dragon type card and it's green yeah it is so, the wrong color what what is the green deck that's going to cast a ton of spells? Now, Magecraft is a pushed ability for the set, so we might get that. Yeah. But if you just handed me this card in standard right now, I probably wouldn't look at it twice. The types are also rough. Doesn't really help with party. Doesn't really play with the elves or anything like that. It, I, I don't think it's... I don't On its own, I don't think it's enough. I would agree with that. And... It's, it's kind of interesting because one of the first things I wanted to say was, how does this play with adventures? That's probably a good place to start with a card like this. Unfortunately, I still don't know if it's enough. Like, tutus that grow over time in standard, I don't know, man. Like, unless they're really going off. Like, here's an example of what we want a card like this to be doing. You know that 1-3 that angel that gets buffed when you play another angel? Right? Yeah. So that card is taking off in Historic in the Angels deck uh, because it's a flyer and because it just freaking gets bonkers out of control very, very quickly and just fits everything that that deck's trying to do. So for this card to see play, I feel like it needs to have that power level. It needs to be kind of just growing and checking other boxes for you, I think. Let me put it like this to you. If you play this card 
and then cast a spell and put a counter on it, and then cast another spell and put a counter on it, you still can't attack because they have Lovestruck Beast. <laughs> exactly. So like, And that was doing it. Like, yeah. you did it. Well, and I was just thinking, you know, I was like, <laughs> let's say you put this in Naya Adventures, but honestly, I'd rather just be casting a Clarion Spirit. You know, I'd rather just be doing all of the other things that that deck's doing. So yeah, this, this card definitely needs to be paying you in some pretty significant ways. But... You know, it's it's a cheap card. It can grow. It has options. All right. Uh, do you want to hit Archmage Emeritus? Archmage Emeritus is two and a blue blue for a human wizard. That is a 2-2 two, two creature. A blue card, guys. At rare. I'm in heaven. All right. This 2-2 two, two for four mana human wizard has an ability as you might expect. It is Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. What do you think of this? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I honestly, all I can think of is like nice frostbite, bro. Nice bone crusher giant, bro. Get stomped, nice, bro. <laughs> nice four mana tutu, bro. <laughs> I I don't know what universe this card is playable in, but I'm struggling. We need to generate a ton of mana. We need to put this on the battlefield and cast and copy a bunch of things on the same turn and draw a lot of cards. Yeah. And I just, I don't think we live in that world. No. 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 Honestly, you know, decks that like have a big combo that go off are usually trying to kill you anyway. They're not trying to draw a billion cards, right? So I just, yeah, it's just hard for me to imagine this card, frankly, ever seeing serious play anywhere ever. It re- it reminds me of like a really old card, you know, yeah. back back when you had Talarian Academy and you could just yes. like put a, this down and and generate fifty mana on turn two and yeah. Exactly. Hopefully we don't live in that world. Yeah, this is the kind of card which like magic players in the nineties would like lean in and hush tones and discuss, you know, but we're, yeah, we're just kind of beyond that. This next oh no, sorry. I mistook this for another card. Um, okay. We we've reached our first lesson. Um so let's just discuss the lesson mechanic, right? So and I think you've probably done a little bit more homework on this one than I have. Okay. okay. Cool. I made a so, joke there. Anyway. Um, oh, <laughs> you did. I missed it. Okay. So so lessons no. are spells that you can... can you, you can put them in your deck if you want, right? Okay. Uh, yes, you can put them in your deck, okay. but you can also have them in your sideboard. They're not designed to go straight into your deck, I think. I don't think that they're... Probably not. Yeah. You could, but probably not. Right. Because... So they go in your sideboard, and there are cards in the set which have the... What's the mechanic called? Is it study? It's called learn. learn. There is one just uh, above... The card you're looking at and to the right if you need like the text for any reason right yeah 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 so it's just a keyword it says learn and the learn i'll just read the oracle text so you may reveal a lesson card you own from outside the game in your sideboard and put it into your hand or discard a card to draw a card so we are given to believe and we've already seen that there are going to be a number of cards in the set which just have the keyword mechanic learn on them. 
And so it's an interesting mechanic because it's versatile. You can just, any lesson, you can nab it from the sideboard, right? And um, it's also cool because if you decide that there are not any lessons in your sideboard that you're currently excited to grab, you can instead do that, uh, I guess they usually call it a rummage ability, which is discard yep. first and then draw. So a fairly versatile uh, keyword, and it's probably going to have like the the amount that people want to play it is going to have everything to do with what the lessons are. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my plebs take on it. Now I know that you covert go blue, who are the one and best of one, probably have some additional thoughts on this mechanic. It's very exciting because it allows you to have a use for the sideboard in best of one. We know that I like to build wish boards with granted from Fae of Wishes or Raven's Warning in a lot of my decks. I also like to come up with obscure scenarios. Like if I run Tybalt or Robber of the Rich in any of my decks, I like to believe that what if I were to steal my opponent's Fae of Wishes I and cast granted? I need to have a sideboard in case that ever happens. <laughs> so I'm building sideboards for like a Rakdos aggro deck that never gets used. But when it comes to lessons, uh, you now have a use for those sideboard slots. You can fill them up with the various lesson cards and put some learn cards in your main deck and you have access to those sideboard cards. You definitely would rather go to your sideboard and grab a lesson than do the rummage effect most of the time. If you're doing the rummage effect instead, hopefully it's because you have a card that you want in the graveyard, like maybe you wanted to put Croxa in your graveyard so you could bring it out on turn four. But for the most part, you get strict card advantage if you go to your sideboard and grab a card that was otherwise not available to you and put it in your hand as opposed to discarding a card to draw a card. So the next question becomes, with card advantage built into all the cards that say learn, because they do automatically replace themselves, kind of like an adventure, are the lessons good enough? Like, are they worth fetching and finding to make this the other spell castable? So on one hand, you're going to look at the card that says that uh, says learn on it and has that mechanic and try to judge whether or not this card is worth playing if it also said on it draw slash, draw slash tutor for a card. And then you have to look at the lessons and say, are those worth searching for? So it's an interesting double-sided mechanic. And the first card you're going to read here, I, I think that's where we're going with this, exactly. is a lesson. So it's one of the cards you could tutor for. Yeah, and and just before I read this lesson, I want to say that my assumption and I think the general design philosophy of mechanics like this is that the card that you play that learns is probably not worth a full card most of the time. Um, or at least it shouldn't be. If if you played like an already fantastic playable card, which also had learn on it, and you also had cards from your sideboard that you wanted to get, then it would actually be kind of busted, right? So, so my assumption is that most learn cards are going to be like a little bit not playable enough. And then my assumption as well is that most of the lessons, if not all of them, are also going to be cards that are not quite worth a card. But your hope is that together they average out to make more than the value of a card in your deck, right? Here, here's what I got for you. Ready? Yeah. We're going to call this the Lesson, lesson Keeper. And Lesson Keeper is a one-mana 1-1 one, one that gives all your spells learn. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not a real card. But they Love might it. print something in the set that gives like all your instants and sorceries learn or something like <laughs> that. That would be... You just got to watch out for kind that. Kind of bonkers. <laughs> Kind of bonkers. Okay, so let's read our first lesson here. This is a black spell, sorcery, lesson. 
It is called Confront the Past. The, the casting cost is X and one black. And it says choose one. First bullet point. Return target planeswalker card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, which is nice. Return to the battlefield is always a nice effect. Uh, the second one is remove twice X loyalty counters from target planeswalker and opponent controls. So the idea is that it hopefully either reanimates one of yours or kills one of your opponents. Um, so of course the playability of this card entirely depends on the planeswalkers you might be running or the planeswalkers you're worried your opponent runs. Um, I think it's it's just, I don't know that we can say much more about this card because it's just so dependent on the format and it's so dependent on the learn cards. Yeah, we need planeswalk. We need to be a deck that plays these planeswalkers or the opponent needs to have a deck that plays decent planeswalkers. And I'm not convinced about that also notably like valky like this can remove counters from a valky but you can't get one back because in the graveyard valky's not a <laughs> yeah it's a little awkward yeah yeah yep so anyway just uh, honestly i don't feel like we can much evaluate it it's more just interesting to think of the possibilities of this card i i will say this is the kind of lesson i want i yes. want there to be lessons like this that target a specific type of card mm -hmm. so i want a lesson that can kill a planeswalker i want a lesson that can kill an enchantment i want a lesson that can kill an artifact etc etc and it doesn't have to be at a perfect cost just a good cost mm -hmm. because remember the learn card like there it has text as well and then the the learning part is just the extra upside so the mm -hmm. lesson just has to be reasonable cost that can solve a problem or keep pressure on the opponent, and I'm in for it. Yeah, I mean, imagine if if in this set they haven't, but imagine if they did print like a cancel, right? One blue, blue counter target spell that also has learn on it, right? I'm in. You would be Done. into that, wouldn't you? Let's go. That would be freaking yeah. <laughs> gas, right? So the question is, how bad does a card have to be with learn on it for us to just be like auto-include, right? Like, how mm -hmm. bad does our shock have to be? How bad does our counter spell have to be? How bad does our normally playable card have to be to have learn on it and make us just like boom i'm on it yep we we answered this question with adventure right like when people yeah. looked at bone crusher yeah. giant they were like well three mana four three or two mana shock you but then you're like no it's two mana shock Worth and it. three mana four three yeah. and both of those cards on their own are questionable for standard but when you put them on one card become it became the most played card in the format at various points. Gangbusters, right? So yep. so that's what we're looking for. Okay, so let's keep going along here. So the, the first learn card which stood out to me as a card that I was just started to think about, um, do you want to read Professor of Symbology? This is a one and a white 2-1 core cleric. And when Professor of Symbology enters the battlefield learn so that's the other side of what we just talked about enters the battlefield go to your sideboard fetch a card from there that is a lesson type card put it in your hand or discard a card in your hand and draw so what do you think of the professor i mean here's what i think if you're in a deck which wants to play cheap creatures this is a core cleric so if this card basically said uh, 2-1 relevant creature type for 2 mana which draws you a card which might be relevant I'm definitely curious like you have my attention right 
Oh yeah, that's better than Elvish Vision. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a really good card. So the only question is, what are the lessons that we might get with this? And if any of them are like even remotely good enough, I'm definitely interested in making space in my white deck for this card. Yeah, I I talked about this one on stream, um, and I think that it's really notable that. There's another card next to it called Pop Quiz, so I'm going to read it quickly just to draw a comparison. Yeah. It's two and a blue for an instant that says draw a card and then learn. So at a glance, it sounds like two and a blue to draw two cards, one of which is a lesson from your sideboard and the other of which is a random card off the top. And I think that Professor of Symbology is a lot better. Yes. And the way I want to explain this is when you're playing a threat you can afford to pay more for free answers. And one of the cards that I think illustrates this the best is Robber of the Rich. Mm. How many times have you fallen way behind or lost because Robber of the Rich cast cards that didn't even play well with the opponent's deck? They were like yeah. overpriced, mostly do-nothings because they weren't built to synergize with the opponent's red deck. But just the fact that they had something to do that like helped keep the pressure on because Robber of the Rich was creating pressure. Professor of Symbiology creates pressure. You can afford to take a clunky turn to maybe generate a little bit of value. As long as you're also applying pressure, it's something the opponent has to answer. That's much more effective than cards that don't produce pressure. It's why generally aggro and mid-range decks are better than control decks. Like a control deck has to be tuned to the meta. In a vacuum, mm -hmm. a control deck is rarely good. Mm -hmm. But um, aggro decks can just prov just provide threats, threats, threats. As long as they keep doing stuff, uh, the better it gets. Like we'll get to some lessons that are insanely overcosted for what they do. Yeah, I don't think that matters though. If you hit for lethal, you know, yeah. if you are attacking and dealing damage, you can pay five for a bad removal spell if it gets you the last two points of damage to win. So this card, I think, is might be the best card spoiled. This so this far. this card could be absolutely bonkers like it really could and you make a really excellent point like one of the biggest issues with you know decks that play cheap cards in general and decks that play cheap aggro cards that they do run out of gas especially if they mulligan especially if this especially if that and so the ability for them to turn their lands which in the late game you know apart from faceless haven are usually kind of useless in a deck like that in order for them to be able to you know you've spent the whole game playing this resource which now that you're empty-handed is essentially a useless resource in order to be able to turn that into even a mediocre spell it doesn't matter how much you cast for it if you can cast the dang thing right so mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just I don't know, man. I'm I'm looking out for those learn spells, and this this card's oh, yeah. got my blood racing a little bit. Is this better than Thraben Inspector? Uh, it could be. It could easily be. I mean, and Thraben Inspector didn't look like anything and turned <laughs> yeah. into a multi-format superstar. And I mean, just yeah. a must of four of in every standard deck that was white for years. Yeah. This is the kind of card like people might play it on turn two and you have a bone crusher and you still felt like you lost in the exchange, right? Could could happen. Could happen. Yeah, good card. All right. Um are there any other cards? Do you, okay, do you think Witherbloom Apprentice is is kind of worth paying attention to? All of the apprentices are worth paying attention to in that 
if we have the right mix of spells, mm -hmm. they could be useful. Mm -hmm. But they're all dependent on instant or sorcery spells and how good Magecraft is. And I have a feeling that at least what we've seen so far and what I expect them to introduce, that none of them will be good enough. I mm -hmm. think they're all stomp bait and that the payoffs won't be there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe we'll skip on reading the apprentices for now. But I kind of I think that's fair. I kind of agree with you. I think the apprentices are basically as good as the magecraft ability ends up being, uh, and that's just so that's something to look out for. Okay, cool. Um, so okay, this next card is it your turn to read CGB? Uh, you know what? I'm I'm going to ask you to read this card anyway. Shadrick's silver quill. <laughs> Because I know you're that you have some, some feelings. <laughs> you are always welcome to ask me to read a card if you're not sure. Like, that is fine by me. All right. We're going to read Shadrix here. Or Shadrix. <laughs> I'm going to make that mistake a lot. Um, anyway, three white and black. This is the Silver Quill, a.k.a. Orzov, Elder Dragon. Legendary creature, Elder Dragon, Mythic. 2-5 stat line, so 2 power, 5 toughness. Abilities, flying and double strike. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may choose two. Each mode must target a different player. Mode 1, target player creates a 2-1 white and black inkling creature token with flying. Mode 2, target player draws a card and loses one life. Mode 3, target player puts a plus one, plus one counter on each creature they control. Arjuna, did you notice when I read these abilities that they all sound very good for the person who, that they are targeted? Yes. Yes. I think... But but one of them has to target an opponent, Arjuna. What yes. What's going on with this card? Uh, one of them actually has to target each opponent. So <laughs> you might make some friends in Commander. Um yeah, Shadrix, I, I want to call Shadrix like the dragon of Christmas, right? Um, Shadrix just wants everyone to have fun. It's, you know, it's kind of like Oprah. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. It's it's so not silver, <laughs> like Silver Quill, from what I understand, is kind of the yeah. like evil, cocky, you know, that's the way it came off to me. Like the, the really boisterous out, you know. Yeah. Maybe maybe they're talking about me. Anyway, <laughs> it, it, I, I I don't get it. Why are why are we trying to help our opponents? It's it's the silver lining, CGB. It's the silver lining, you know. Uh. <laughs> so okay, so you know what card this reminds me of the most, just thematically, is Rankle. I think that in order to evaluate this card, we should compare it to Rankle. I remember when Rankle was spoiled, people looked at it and they were like, does this card kind of suck? It like Wait, they were? Oh yeah, I mean a lot of people were skeptical of that oh, card, wow. right? Rewind the tape. They were on, they were like, you, you know, it it dies to, you know, insert deal 3 here. Um and it you know, it has a downside that you pay as well as your opponent. Like, that's not good. I just don't think this card's going to be good. And then it ended up being surprisingly good. Now, I'm not saying that Shadrix is going to be the same way. What I will say is that the whole point of Rankle being good was that you had to um, 
you had plenty of opportunities to manipulate what happened in a way that was better for you than the opponent. That was the whole point of the card, right? And so in order for this card to be good in a 1v1 game, it has to line up such that you're always getting a better deal than your opponent and that it kind of justifies the worth of the card. Now, unfortunately, Shadrick's not having haste and costing five mana is a huge strike against it. So <laughs> that's honestly, you know what, man? Honestly, I like, I don't even know that we need to discuss much more than that. Like I see, this is what I see, is a five mana, two five flyer that doesn't have haste and I'm, I'm kind of over it already. So I don't know. I I do want to point out, like if when you read the text at first, you might like I know a lot of people that got the wrong idea. You might you may choose two. You can choose nothing, but you have but if you choose something, you have to choose two. Oh, you that's can't good choose to know. up to two. Okay, that's good. Like to you know. can't the yeah, you can't choose one and just do one of the things to yourself and and not do something to your opponent. Yeah. You either choose zero or you choose two yeah so your opponent gets something so no matter what when you choose that so i just want to give you all a tip i would suggest if you're playing this card i would suggest against giving your opponent the two one flyer i would just because <laughs> make unless unless you control carvac the spiteful could be could be yep that could be gas although then you're only hitting for two <laughs> so that's kind of well you put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control that's true you could See? you could yeah, so there yeah, you go you're proving yeah. the point cgb um no this card sucks <laughs> um so yeah but this, this is bulk mythic yeah i just don't yeah i don't i just don't recommend playing this card Okay, cool. Can we move on? Yes. All right. Um, next, we have always one of the most important things to discuss in a spoiler, the rare land cycle of the set. These are dual lands. And CGB, what what are we calling these? What's the what's the lay person's term for these? My favorite was show lands. The show lands. I like that too. Mm-hmm. So why don't you explain to the peoples what the what the mechanic is here? An example of a showland is uh, Frostboil Snare, which reads uh, tap for blue or red, and as Frostboil Snare enters the battlefield, you may reveal an island or mountain from your hand. If you don't, this card enters the battlefield tapped. So when you are playing these cards, if you have a card of the type of mana they produce that land type in your hand you can reveal it to your opponent and you get an untapped source otherwise you get less than a temple you get a tapped land these also do not have types so uh like a the card i just read is not an island slash mountain yeah like the common snowlands were in kaldheim so that's important because if you draw an opening hand and you have a shuffler's fine moment where you have three, for example, frostboil snares, they all enter the battlefield tapped unless until you draw an island or mountain to reveal. So that's an important little point. Yep, yep. And sorry to be the actually guy, but they are all snarls. S-N-A-R-L. Oh, so we just call them the snarls. Yeah, we just call them the snarl lands, man. Snarl <laughs> every, lands? every time you play, you have to be like... Arr. Yeah, these lands 
definitely ask questions of you. I feel like, okay, this is what I feel like, especially in historic, like when you pull it, when you line all of the lands up in front of you, you have to really like have a grown up conversation with yourself about exactly what you want your mana base to look like. Because I'll tell you what, these cards do not just go into every deck. So let's take, for example, uh, a three color deck. You might be like, I need dual colored lands in my three colored deck and I run triomes. So that seems like a perfect place to play this card, okay? But here are some of the challenges you might run into. Um, you, you're already running triomes, okay? And then you're running these lands. And then how many like just actually untapped lands are you gonna be running in your deck? Are you gonna be running Fabled Passage? Are you gonna be running Pathways? Neither of those synergize particularly well with this card. And I want to speak especially to the triome thing. You might look at this and be like, well, a triome is a Okay, that's true, right? But one of the two of these is going to come in tapped. And so it's not like, it's, it's not going to kind of big brain your curve quite in the way that you're thinking it's going to. So here's an example. Oftentimes, if you have an opening hand with a triome in it, you want to play it out turn one because that's the often the turn that you're least likely to want to use that mana. If you do that, then the rest of your snarls in your hand come untapped. Like vice versa, you can play this on turn one untapped, but then at some point in your curve, you're going to play a tap land that might hurt you a lot more than it would have on turn one. So these are the kinds of things that you have to be a grown up and think about when you're building your mana base. Yep, pathways won't cut it. Uh, Fable Passage, notably, won't cut it. Triumph will, but it does mean you'll have a tap land later which you're going to pay for that tempo at some point. So this is a rough one. When this cycle was in standard, like I think, no, Prairie Stream wasn't this one. What was it called? Ah, oh God, I still have it in a binder yeah, somewhere. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, the, the, allied, the allied colored ones were in standard. And one of the lessons that was learned was that you probably don't run four. Mm, because yeah. drawing multiples is bad and you really don't want it to be your top deck later in the game. You really like having it in your opening hand with another basic, but it does they do cannibalize themselves. And especially with Pathways and Fable Passage as really common fixing, I think these will get played, but I think we should learn the lesson and we probably shouldn't run four. We'll probably start that way, but when it all comes down to it, we probably shouldn't. I just remember watching a lot of coverage at the time from Star City Games and it just Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips, two of the best commentators for watching competitive magic of all time, just seem to have a running game of every every single time somebody played one of these, it entered the battlefield tapped. And they just would just it got to a point where they just busted up laughing. Every time someone needed to draw land, it was one of these off the top. And it entered the battlefield tapped and the person was in much worse position for it and they just got to a point where every time it happened they just laughed yep yep it's i mean it's a thing i so my hot take on these lands the place that i first want to put them like the place i first want to go with these lands is in a two color deck in standard which wants some fast mana and the reason for that is that if you go down the playable lands in a two-color deck in standard, you're going to end up with like 14 basics or like 16 mm -hmm. basics, right? Which is, I think, enough. Like if you have a, if your deck is just a lot of basics, then you can get away with cards like this a lot more. It's not that they're not going to bite you, but this might 
statistically come into play untapped more often than uh, than a fabled passage, for example. So that's where I would be looking. Like I think a deck, let's say you have a 24 land deck which runs four pathways, four snarls, and then a bunch of basics. I think that's a solid mm-hmm. start to your to your mana base. It's better than it's been recently. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's that's fine. Right. So that's the first place I would put these. I would definitely think long and hard before trying to put one of these in a three color mana base. That seems like danger territory to me. Yeah. I'll probably mess with it, but when you have twelve pathways in your deck, this starts to look really bad. Yeah. There are a few other things that could make these a little better. Let's say that you're playing Birth of Miletus. Card like that could make a card like this a little better, right? I don't know. I'm yeah, just maybe. I'm just thinking. Maybe. These are the kind of things that sure. might um sway you one way or the other. Yeah. But yeah, don't just like these are not gonna be like just they're not gonna be pathways, right? They're not just gonna be jamming far off into all of these decks just by default. Agreed. Cool. Okay. Next card here, Uvilda. Dean of Perfection, two and a blue, legendary creature, Jin wizard at rare. It is a 2-2. It is also a DFC. The first side reads, tap, and then a lot of text. You may exit CGB, just sitting back in his chair, getting hydrated. It's going to be a long road, my friend. Yeah, he's, he's going to read his phone, maybe do a little exercising over there. Meanwhile, tap, you may exile an instant or sorcery card from your hand and put three hone. I'm reading that right. Hone counters on it. <laughs> I can't focus, no one rhymes with hone. I can't focus. So, okay. Phone rhymes with hone. Yeah, yeah right, a phone <laughs> counter on it. So, <laughs> so, so. Adult Arjuna intervenes. You may exile an instant or sorcery card from your hand and put three hone counters on it. It gains at the beginning of your upkeep. If this card is exiled, remove a hone counter from it. And when the last hone counter is removed from this card, if it's exiled, you may cast it. It costs four colorless mana less to cast this way. Um, so what's the mechanic? It's called layaway or something. You know what I'm talking about? Suspend. suspend. That's it. It's it reminds but us to be, of suspend. But, but you're not. You got more work. There to is do. more. You're not done. There is in fact yeah. more work. Yeah. You're not done. My poor vocal cords to do. Yeah. Yeah. The backside is a red card. Nasari, Dean of Expression. Three red, red. Legendary creature, Efreet, Shaman at four four. It also has a lot of text on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile a top card of each opponent's library. Until the end of turn, you may cast spells from among those exiled spells, and you may spend mana as though a mana of any color to cast those spells. Whenever you cast a spell from exile, put a plus one plus one counter on Nasari, Dean of Expression. I sure hope that's the last time I ever have to read this card, Kovaka Blue. Good, good, good job. Yeah. A- adult Arjuna showed up for work, rolled up the sleeves, got the job done, <laughs> and you... You know, I want to honor the hard work you put into reading all that text with my very brief review. This card sucks. You know what I just read? I read a eulogy. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I mean, okay, it, it's command. I think it's fair to say commander card. Yeah. Because it doesn't provide anything at a rate that I think is reasonable for a constructed competitive format. I mean, hard agree. L- just, just look at the look at the conditionals on this card. One of the metrics I use to assess how good cards are are how many conditional things have to happen. Okay, so first of all, three mana two two has to live until your next turn. Not great. Okay. Second thing, you may you may exile an instant or sorcery card from your hand, so you have to have one of those in your hand. That's the second thing that you need. The third of all, it needs to be a card that you're going to be happy to cast how many turns from now? Four turns from now? Four turns. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and Kovaka Blue, it then has to be a card which on that turn you're going to be stoked about costing four less to cast. I mean... <laughs> I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but <laughs> I, it, there better be some game winners. Like there have to be some absolute bangers. Oh my goodness! Game. Why does it say you may? Uh, yeah, you may. <gasps> Why so, would you tap this? You don't want to. If you if you don't have it, <laughs> you you can tap this to do literally nothing. Just wanted to let you know. Hey man, I don't know. Sometimes people resolve in a crow and war against me, and I just need to save my creature, dude. You know. Oh my gosh, it can't come back from a crow in war. One more strike against it. <laughs> so so that's the first side of the card. I never I literally never want to resolve that spell in my life. Does the back side of it do anything for us? It's it's better, it's better. I think, but it's still low rate mm-hmm. and there again, um you have to exile the top card of each opponent's library when you see each opponent, mm. you should probably think commander especially on a legendary creature and then you may cast spells so if you exile a land you did nothing Mm -hmm. congratulations you helped your opponent scry to a more relevant card good work true and then uh if you cast a spell from exile which could be an adventure or a foretold card or things like that it gets a plus one plus one counter for this card to be good i expected to exile target permanent whenever you cast a spell from exile and then i'd be like okay this might just be interesting could be a banger but i mean for a plus one plus one counter i get that from showdown of the scalds and it comes with four spells for less mana yeah this like this no, not no, only no. reads to me like a commander card, it reads to me like a bad commander card. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't even want to build a deck with this for commander, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like I would build a meme deck with this in commander that was like all seven mana instants and sorceries, and then just whichever side I felt like casting for the lols, probably expecting to lose every game. That's the kind of deck that I would build with this. All right, um... How about this lesson that we're looking at here, CGB? You want me to read Expanded Anatomy that way? I, I, I feel like maybe we should read all the lessons. Okay. Expanded Anatomy is a colorless lesson sorcery. Three generic mana. Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. It gains vigilance until end of turn. Right. So this is an example. Is this the one? Is this what you want to learn? Uh, I mean, this is an example of a lesson I'd probably like to leave in limited, personally. Um, but just yeah. just to give people an idea of what a common lesson looks like. I can see. So, like when I'm playing certain white decks, 
there are times where I just really want a sentinel's eyes. And we already talked about that there's the white creature that uh, looks like a very good learner. And so I, I feel like maybe this has a home as a one-of in the sideboard of that very, very specific deck. It's a common, we'll see. Yeah, creatures that get double strike, stuff like that, expanded if, anatomy. If you're playing best of one, yeah, if you're playing best of one, there's no reason not to. Yes. I doubt we're going to have 15 lessons that fit our color scheme to fill the sideboard. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think this will happen maybe once every 200 to 300 games of magic you might fetch this one i feel like what i've seen from these not busted lessons so far is that they tend to be a a of all a spell you probably wouldn't want to cast and b of all at least one mana more expensive than you'd want to spend on it but yeah you know but again in best of one that could still be enough so yep. here's another lesson that I would definitely consider putting in, in my sideboard. Uh, introduction to Annihilation, five mana, colorless sorcery lesson at common, exile target non-land permanent. Its controller draws a card. So this is basically what you were talking about earlier, CGB, as being a surprisingly reasonable kind of finisher, push my damage through kind of card in an aggressive deck. Yeah, uh, an answer in generic mana to any permanent type. This is this is kind of new. So as long as there is a learn card in your color combination, and I have a feeling there will be learn cards throughout the color combinations in this set, as long as you have a learn card in your deck, you now have an out to a permanent on the battlefield that you may not have had before. How many... Every day, I still make and play against decks that have zero art, outs to artifacts or zero outs to enchantments. Uh, the color pie just doesn't allow for reasonably priced outs to those things. And now you have an unreasonably priced one, but it doesn't take up a spot in your deck. It's something you can fetch when you have to. And it's better definitely for aggro decks because it doesn't matter if you paid five for it. It doesn't matter if it was sorcery speed. And it doesn't even matter if the controller draws a card if you attack for lethal after casting it. So yeah. I, I think it's just much better if you can have an aggressive leaned Deck. I wonder if this card is going to end up hitting more Great Henges and Embercleaves than we might imagine in the format. It's just, it's an interesting card to have access to, right? It's the kind of thing which, again, if you're playing like a playable lesson card in your deck, it might kind of curve nicely. Obviously, it's not what you would ideally want to be doing. But like, how many times does your opponent just slam their, yeah, they slam their turn for a hand or something, and you look at your hand and you're like, oh, crap. You know, I didn't I, I didn't draw my sideboard cards, or I'm playing best of one, and I don't run a Chateau main deck or whatever. That card's going to kill me. And just being able to fish this out and take it out, even at kind of a bad mana cost, could be really good. I, I think it's also interesting to note that this isn't just different permanent types. It's also effects like indestructible protection from x like those are things that also normally sometimes you look across the table and the game's just over because you can't deal with this thing Mm -hmm. and this gets around those as well Mm -hmm. Uh, not hexproof and shout and shroud but uh around protection i think is particularly interesting uh, across the formats yes yes and it being a colorless spell can matter no one's gonna mystical dispute this you know no one's gonna ether gust it stuff like that so anyway i i think that this card might end up being surprisingly playable 
Uh, this next one I'm not so sure about. Introduction to Prophecy, three mana sorcery, lesson at common, scry two, then draw a card. Do you, like, do we bother with this? You'll put it in the wish board if you're playing best of one because we need to fill our board. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, it, here's the thing. If you if mana is tight and you don't want to spend a turn paying three mana for this effect, you'd probably rather do the rummage, the discard a card and draw a card yeah. off your what if you need that card right now and mana is tight but if it's late game and you have a ton of mana this like fetching and casting this is better than discarding a card to draw a card if mana is not a problem right so yeah. i think it will be an option i just don't think it will be the first or most likely one but it's not terrible and you may as well have it yeah yeah definitely for sure uh and you know Definitely playable in a controly deck in the late game when you have a lot of mana and you're just trying to find either your finisher or that one counter spell you need to lock up the game. Could be playable, yeah. All right, crafties, that's going to do it for part one of the Strixhaven set review. Look for the rest of this episode to come out later this week. Bye for now. <laughs>